Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. This week's message is brought to us by senior pastor Clint Shamblin. He's preaching from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 27. If I didn't have the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Clint. I'm one of the pastors here. I get the honor today of bringing God's word to us based upon the passage that was just read to you. Uh, This series that we are in, we're calling The Difficulty of Christianity. And we're trying to isolate a couple of incidences within scripture that really, really, really highlight just how difficult uh, the passages of scripture are to, one, comprehend, two, come to some assessment within our lives, some access point that we can actually practically apply. So today we come to a a passage that on the surface does not seem practical at all. Uh, I don't know how many of us have a skin disease in which our doctor is telling us to go dip ourselves in the Chicago River seven times uh, and come out green right now, Um, but nobody's doing that. And so we say, well, pastor, how is this, how is this practical? I want to answer that for you. Today's passage is insanely practical because there is a heap, just a heap of difficulties within this passage and one grand solution. The heap of difficulties within this passage, and let me list them to you very quickly, some aspects as we read the story of what Elisha says to Naaman. Here are some questions that come up. What is the process of of salvation? What are the requirements to come into faith? What must I do after I come to faith? How much do I need to know about God before I come to faith? How much do I need to change my life after I come to faith? What must happen before I come to faith? Does salvation look the same for everyone? Now, those are just some of them that as you read through, as you go through, as you study, you go, my goodness, that's a lot to get to. Now, admittedly, I will not be able to get to all of these today. I won't be able to. I will get to three of them. I won't get to all of them. And you may, as I read that, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, Pastor, that's great. How do you come to faith? What do you do to come to faith? What before faith? What after faith? And some of us may be thinking, great, that's fine for those who aren't of faith. This isn't a, this isn't a big tent revival or something like that, Pastor. This is church. Give me, give me maturity. Give me the deeper stuff of Scripture. I, I want to show you, well, actually, what is required to come to faith, what happens when you come to faith, what happens after you come. All of that is just as applicable to you as it is to somebody not of faith. And one of the things we've been saying over and over again as we experience more and more people at COTB, there is this understanding of not being of faith or being close to faith or coming back to faith. So for those of us who don't claim faith, this is very, very practical for you. For those of us who do claim faith, this is very, very practical to you. I'm going to try to answer how that looks because every last one of us, whether not of faith or of faith, whether baptized when you were three and always been at church or, or baptized three weeks ago or not baptized, not of faith, not an adherent of faith, don't know who this Jesus is. Today, Naaman has an answer for all of us. There's one grand solution to all of those questions. I'm going to walk through what that looks like. And I want to encourage you, if you say to yourself, you say, Pastor, I don't, I don't need to know how to come to faith. I don't need to know what is faith. I don't need the requirements for faith. I already have that. I want to encourage us with what Paul encourages us later in the New Testament. Galatians 3.1 says this, and this is what I want to, again, encourage you with. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ 
was clearly portrayed as crucified. The Galatians, Paul speaking to them, the Galatians thought, Paul, we, we got this thing, man. This whole faith, this whole Christianity, this whole understanding, I got, I'm fine. Let's move on to deeper things. And the Galatian church, the church at Galatia, had a huge problem. They thought they were so advanced for things, they started focusing on other aspects of faith, that, that Paul said, who bewitched you? Literally, what, what he's saying is, who has possessed you? Who has taken over your life? Who has taken over your mind? Who has taken over your heart? Because aren't you the ones before your very eyes? Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, meaning, this is what he's saying, and this is what Elisha is saying. The best way to have faith ongoing, to mature your faith in Christ, if you count yourself as faithful, is to see Christ clearly crucified. That's the best way. As a matter of fact, it's the only way. If you think to yourself, no, 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 I have other things to get to. God becoming man and dying for my sin. If you have that down pat, please come talk to me because you should educate me because I don't have a down pat. Because every day I wake up and I go, this is bizarre. This is mysterious. This is crazy. Today, I want to show you, just like Paul challenges the church of Galatia, Naaman, the, the, the very succinct, clear story, the clear history of Naaman shows us that we must not get off course, whether of faith or not of faith, whether we're new to faith, whether we need to come to faith, whether we want to come to faith or we have faith. The simple thing is this. I want to show you the grand solution that God has for every last one of us, no matter the stage of life, no matter the stage of faith, no matter the, the, the location in the world, no matter the location in an age, it's the same answer for every last one of us. So as we walk through these, I, I typically present a problem and then I present a solution. So that list of problems I gave, long, extensive, great. By the way, pick this up with somebody this week. Go to coffee with them. Go to a meal with them. Uh, Rewatch this on YouTube and, and go to those questions. And ask those questions of somebody else as you discuss it with them. Maybe a community group this week. Do that. Whoever you're meeting with, ask those questions. But here's the problem I'm going to address today for you. The problem that many people ask, what is required of me to come to faith? Now, notice I said, what is required of me to come to faith? Not, what do I think you need to have to come to faith? Or what do you think you need to have to come to faith? That's not what I asked. I said, what is required? There is a truth that Naaman shows us, that Elijah shows us. What is required to come to faith? What does God require of me to be saved? That's the problem I want to present. And a lot of us are dealing with that today. Here's the solution. God wants everything from you. He doesn't want a little piece of you. He doesn't want your morals only. He doesn't want your ethics only. He doesn't want your mind only or your body only or your, or your money only. He actually aims for something much bigger. He wants to heal every last square inch of you. He wants to take every area of your life, every nook and cranny, every little minute detail, and he wants to heal it. He doesn't want to tell you how to improve yourself. He wants you to know this, and this is the grand solution. Anything he gives you is better than everything you can give him. When you, if you were to ask, and many people are asking, how do I come to faith? What is faith? What's, okay, great. It must include this. It has to include this. I want to show you today how it includes Anything he gives you is better than everything you can give him. And Naaman shows us that. How will we get there? 
One, I want to say who are called to faith. I want to answer who are called to faith. Two, I want to answer what is the calling. And three, how do I live because of it? Who is called to faith? What is the calling of faith? And how do I live because of it? And again, the answer to the problem of what is required, what does God require of me is anything he gives you is better than everything you can give him. Here's how I want to get that. Who is called to faith? The short answer, the simple answer, the, the complexity boiled down is this. People who need healed. That's who can come to faith. Who can come to faith? Those of us who recognize we have a need. That's who can come to faith. Now, Naaman showed how he wanted to be healed a couple of ways. If we're looking at Naaman, we're looking at his life, we're looking at the healing that he experienced, the change of course in his life. What happens in this, in this narrative, this historical account, is there's two men juxtaposed. They're, compa- they're compared to each other. There's Gehazi and there's Naaman. There's one really religious guy, an associate pastor, uh, 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 Elijah's second-hand man. He is compared to, and, and this is what the text says, and this is what's really, really difficult for some of us to understand. I want to I show you this. A foreign adversary to God's people who is a military leader who did not worship God. That's who he's juxtaposed against. And I'll give you a, you read the passage, so I can't, look, we already told you the answer. But which one comes to faith? Which one sees faith? Which one receives a healing and which one re- receives a curse? And there's no two ways around this. Gehazi, associate pastor, gets a curse because he thinks he brings things to God. He thinks he deserves things. He thinks he knows what's best. He's, he's, a, he's a very arrogant man. He's a very religious man. And I'll explain what that means here in a moment. Naaman, very arrogant man. We're going to find out. Very arrogant, very proud, but he's humbled. He is humbled. He's company. He's, he's a very, very non-religious person, but he comes to faith and he gets to see this. See, one of the aspects that, that I can share with you, and I could say we actually have a lot in common with Naaman and Gehazi, is they both start off in the same trajectory. Naaman comes and says, hey, I have leprosy, uh, which by the way, leprosy in, in this just simply means some sort of skin irritation. It could have been cancer. It could have been leprosy. There was something wrong with him that he needed healing for. So he, he says this, he finds out, he, he does something, and, and, and then he says, okay, I need to go to this Israelite prophet, or I need to go to Israel first, so let me go to the king, and the king sends me to this prophet, and the prophet tells me to go wash myself seven times in the river, and I do, and I get healed. He first thought, I know how to get healing. Oh, I, I know the answer to this. Let me express myself by using of my wealth. Let me express myself by using of my glory. And he shows up at the king's door and he says, King, here I am. And he has his like royal attache with him. He's a military leader. And the king of Israel goes, Oh no. Oh no. This guy wants to declare war on me. He wants to say, This this is official. Something's going on. So the king kind of freaks out. He thinks of this as a political quagmire. He says, No, I can't. I can't do this. Get, Get out of here. Then he goes to Elijah and he says the same thing. He stands in front of Elijah's door and he says, prophet, here I am, great and glorious, all my beauty. And Elijah says, cool, I'll send a messenger to you. Have you ever had that happen in your life? Where like you go to a meeting and somebody like sends their right-hand person out to you and they're like, oh, they're very busy right now. Can you come back tomorrow? And you're like, wow, what a flex. Like that's just 
you're cool. I get it. I understand. Elijah's not doing that. He's actually testing Naaman. He's actually doing something. God's doing something by Elisha's word that is trying to show us something in our, our society today. Gehazi does the same thing. Gehazi comes to Naaman and then uh, uh, back to Elisha and says, I'm good. I'm glorious. I'm an associate pastor. I deserve things. Look at my life. I'm good. I'm glorious. I have the title. I have the prestige. You should listen to me. You should follow me. I deserve good things. They both are in the same camp. One gets healing, one gets cursed. Why? And how does it apply to us? Uh, Carl Truman has a book. It's called The Strange New World. And he's talking about the prevailing aspects of our current society. And if, if you were to take one thing, extrapolate one thing from our current society, our current world-dominated understanding, it's this. Self-expression is the biggest key to every last one of our identities. Every last one of our identities is self-expression. He, he says, he goes on to very, 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 very long, lengthy understanding, but let me sum it up for you. Carl Truman says, one of the things that in our society we love to do is, if I think it, I am. If I think it, I am. If I think something, I am something. And we're having a whole lot of conflict with that. Aren't we, aren't we having that in our society? I, I mean, quite honestly, every single time I talk to somebody else, it, it's, it's a question along the lines of this. When, when I, when I, I don't tell many people I'm a pastor when I'm out in the world. Uh, that's not because I'm ashamed of being a pastor. It's because people sanitize themselves when they find out I'm a pastor. Um, I have, many of you know this already, and if you think this is a sin, I can exegete this for you all day long. I love cigars, and I go to Cigar Lounge, and all you medical people, I don't inhale it, okay? It's fine. It's fine. You can do secondhand smoke all you want. You're wrong. Um, I can prove it to you because my self-expression says it's fine. So therefore, no. Whenever I go to the cigar lounge and I'm sitting there and I tell people, ask me like, what do you do? I try to get them off subject very quickly. Here's the reason why. Because for 30 minutes, they're talking to me and they are telling me dirty jokes. They're using foul language. And the second I say I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, oh, I mean, I'm so sorry. I, I apologize for my vernacular. And I'm like, yeah, I've never heard that language before in my entire life. This is brand new to me. My virgin ears, oh no. I don't tell them I'm a pastor because they sanitize themselves. But every single person, when I'm talking to them, when I'm, when I'm engaging, when I'm speaking, this is the prevailing thought that people ask. They say, pastor, pastor, here's what I think. Here's what I think. God thinks that way too, doesn't he? And I go, well, let's talk about that. But the, the basic is exactly what Carl Truman is saying. It's, it's my experience as well. People think that if I think it, therefore I am. So it must be true. And actually, that's exactly what Gehazi thought. And that's exactly what Naaman thought. Naaman thought, I am big. I am glorious. I'm the second in command. I'm rich. I'm wealthy. I deserve to see the king of Israel. You know, like, just think about how presumptuous that is really quick. Think about how presumptuous it is that he brings an entourage in front of Elijah's house and says, you must serve me the way that I deserve to be served. Gehazi the same way. I'm a, good, I'm a good associate pastor. I'm a good Christian. I'm a good moralist. I deserve good things. Elijah says, no, you don't. See, the problem that we have in our strange new world is that if I think it, therefore I am. It's exactly what Gehazi thought. It's exactly what Naaman thought. exactly what you and I think. This is one of the difficulties within Christianity. Naaman doesn't get healed because he has a lot of wealth. Naaman doesn't get healed because of his position. Naaman doesn't get healed because of his title. 
What, what heals him? What's the only thing that heals him? What's the thing that the king of Israel, Elijah says, the servants say to him, go wash yourself seven times in a river. We're going to get to that, what that looks like, but here's the, here's the short version. Humble yourself. Or as my 90s hip hop would say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. If you don't know that, Google that and listen to the song. It's fantastic. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's what Naaman was told. That's what Gehazi was told. Gehazi didn't listen. He got cursed. Naaman listened, and he got healed. Church, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Uh, Ted Lasso, like all good cultural theologians. Ted Lasso, uh, I'm going to show you who this is. This is Nate from Ted Lasso. Nate thinks, he's a coach, there's this really podunky, weird, accenty American coming over and teaching me about premier soccer. He doesn't know anything. He's from the Midwest. They're all backwards people in the Midwest, don't we know? They're all weird. And he's coming over here and he's teaching me about, and Nate, Nate says, I, I've worked here the longest. I've been here the longest. I'm the genius. I'm the one making plays and no one's giving me credit. My self-expression says I should be coach, not this guy. Nate wants the attention, he wants the title, he wants the platform. He doesn't get it, and he's, he's very upset. And then the best character in the entirety of the show, Roy Kent, he is the best. And you want to fight me on that, I'll fight you all day long. Roy Kent is somebody who's, who's a, he's, he's been a star. He's been the best. He's been the top of his game. And now he's coaching under this podunky, weird accenty, backwards coach, and he submits himself. Roy Kent has every single ability to say, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, let me lead. And instead he goes, whatever you say, coach. Nate says, I'm the best, I'm the greatest. Spoiler alert, he has to leave the community. Gehazi and Naaman start off as Nates. But look what Naaman does. This is how Naaman came to faith. When I say who is called, those who know their need are called to faith. Let me show you. Naaman understands his sickness. He knows his sickness. Now, this is very difficult for us to swallow. This is, again, when I say layered difficulty, this is a difficulty within a difficulty. It says at the beginning of the passage that God gave Naaman victory in, in, in many, many battles. Now, that should rub you the wrong way. Do you know why it should rub you the wrong way? Because it's not part of God's people. It's not Israel. It's not good moralist. And you look at Naaman, he goes, he's not a faith. He's not an Israelite. He's not doing any of the law. He's not. And God gave him victory. God gave him victory. That should, you should ask questions about that church. That's a difficult thing for me to understand because here's why it's difficult. Do you see what happens? We talked about this last week with Esther. The question is not, how did I get here? But now that I am here, what do I do to, to praise God? There's this little passage. She gets not even a name. The slave girl. Naaman has victory, wins, brings a slave girl into his care, and the slave girl sees his afflicted leprosy and says, you should go see the man of God in Israel. Now, really quick, connect those dots. God gave Naaman victory over Israel in a certain case, and what happened was when he took victory, he abducted this slave girl. There's no other way to put it, church. Friends, there's no other way to put it. He abducted the slave girl, brought her into his court. She was now attending Naaman's wife. And they, they he's sick. He's going to die. 
whatever it is. He's not going to have status. He's not going to be able to go into with the king anymore. He's not going to have the platform. He's not going to have all the wealth. And she says, I know how to heal you. Now, really quick, can you put yourself very, very quickly, very, very quickly, can you put yourself in the slave girl's shoes really quick? Your entire family is stricken from you. You're taken from your country. You don't have freedom. And the person responsible for that is sick and might die. Would you give him help? Would you tell him how to go get healed? Or, or would you let that something, something die? Do you see? Do you see, friends, how difficult this passage is to understand what is going on? Because she doesn't let him die. She says, I want health for you. And look what Naaman does. Naaman goes, okay, fine. I, I'll, I'll go get healed. I'll try anything. I'll do anything because I know, I know that I know that I know I need healing. Church, would you listen to anybody and everybody about the healing that you need? Or do you think you're so great that you can't even listen to a slave girl that you took and abducted from a little podunk country? A loser beneath you. Naaman listened. The second thing that he did, he was encouraged by community. Not only did he know his need, he knew what he needed to do for healing, but he was encouraged by his community. Naaman shows up with all his wealth and says, what must I do? And Elijah says, go dip yourself in the river seven times. And he says, what? I'm sorry, um, say that again. No, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to take this money, then you're supposed to like speak an incantation over me, like get out the Ouija board or something, and everything's supposed to be healed, right? Elisha says, no, go, go jump in the river. Go up and down seven times. And he says, I, this is quite frankly stupid. He says, I got rivers back at home that are better than your little tiny river, okay? I'll go, I'll go jump in that. They're holier, they're better, they're my rivers, whatever. This is, this is like a puddle. He goes, okay, well, I can't help you then. And he goes, let's, let's go. Let's get out of here. And his servants say, hey, Naaman. Hey, Naaman, really quick. If Elisha said, go climb the tallest mountain and pick a flower that nobody else can pick and bring it down to him and give him the flower that, that proves how great and glorious and how, how, in, how much endurance you have and how much strength you have, would you do that? And he goes, yes, I'd do that. Of course I'd do that. Well, why not do the simpler thing? If you would do the hardest thing, why not do the simple thing that the man of God is asking? Uh, the staff went to a uh, escape room uh, this last week. A lot of fun. Had a blast. It was awesome. Um, but you, you're able to get a clue every so often uh, if you're in there, if you're stuck or doing something. And, and there was a couple times where we're like, okay, what's next? What's next? And Pastor Abe looks at me and he goes, can we just get a clue? And I was like, no. We will do this with no clues. <laughs> and he goes, and we had just studied Naaman together as a staff. And he goes, dude, you're so Naaman right now. <laughs> and I go, ouch. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> I was trying to do it the hard way. I want the difficult thing. It's one, of my, it's one of my sicknesses, truth be told. I have a problem with it. I want the hard thing. Naaman wanted the hard thing. And, and his servants are telling him, why? When you could receive healing of what you want the simple way. Church, do you sometimes come to God with an impossible list of things that he has to do? Do you come to people with an impossible list of things they must do and you don't need to? Because God says, it's not the thing that you bring me, Naaman. It's what I give you that brings healing. 
Do you see? Stop trying to do it the difficult way. Stop overcomplicating the simplicity of Christ's message. <sighs> Church, I have more to say on that in a second. Here's my point on this one. His servants told him, you're, you're kind of being an idiot, Naaman. Church, don't do faith alone. Don't do faith alone. Don't think that it's just you and God and the Bible and that's all you need. It's not. It's not. Don't do faith alone. Do faith in community. You must. If you, if you don't, I wonder if you've read 90% of the Bible. Because all it talks about constantly, community, 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 community. And people understanding, I'm not great, I need other people with me. That's the beauty of it. Uh, Pastor Dave and I, had, a, a, a while ago, we had a situation came up where I thought he would be best suited to handle it, and he thought I was best suited to handle it. So I came to him and I said, hey, P.A., why don't you handle this? And he goes, I, I can't do that. You're better at that. You do that. And I said, no, you're better at that. You do that. And then we both looked at each other, and we were like, maybe we should admit we're both suck at this thing. And he goes, that's how I approach every day of my life. And I said, I'm, yes, <laughs> yes. Church, would you admit maybe you don't know best? And maybe you need other people to help check your six. And maybe that's the most loving thing that could do. Naaman did that and he received healing. And then lastly, he did in fact humble himself. Here's what's really, 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 really unique about this story. Elijah tells Naaman, go dip yourself in the river seven times and be healed. Do you know how many commands in scripture dictate that a person with leprosy from a foreign country go dip themselves seven times in the river and be healed? Not one command. This is a new command. This is Elijah. I, like I said earlier, God's testing Naaman. This is Elijah making a new law. He says, okay, foreign-born adversary of Israel, if you want healing, Go dip yourself in the river seven times and come back and you will be healed. He's telling Naaman to do something that, that quite frankly, is not a law. Is not an Old Testament cleanliness law. We have those all the time. It's not a ceremonial law. There's nothing. This is, this is, this is brand new. And there's, there's connections of water washing and seven times being a perfect. All of that is true. But quite frankly, this is a unique experience that Elisha is telling him. And here's what I want us to understand from this. Here's what you need to hear. Anything God asks you to do is better than everything you can bring him, even if it doesn't make any sense. Do you understand that, Naaman? It, this doesn't make any logical sense. You have better rivers. This, show me. Show me in, in the Bible, Elijah. Show me in the Word. Show me in the Ten Commandments where it says, I have to go dip myself seven times. And all he says is, if you want healing from God, you receive healing from God the way that he gives healing, not the way that you give healing. Do you see? It's not radical self-expression that gets us healing. It's radical receptivity from the God of all who knows us perfectly, giving us our true identity more than the identity that we think we deserve. Do you see? Friends, heaven, as I, as I talk to people, as I expose them, I'm a pastor, and they ask me all sorts of questions. They're like, hey, what do I need to do to get into heaven? Here's my answer all the time. I say, do you want to go to heaven? And they're like, well, yeah, who wouldn't? I'm like, well, okay, let's talk about that. Do you know what heaven is? Heaven's my, per my perfect playground where I could do anything I want all day long. Nope, try again. What is heaven? Heaven is an eternity with God and the things God loves. 
That's heaven. Now, if you don't like the things of God, do you know how unloving it would be to ask you to spend an eternity with those things? Uh, I love baseball, and there's, I think, I, I did a count at retreat. I literally did a survey as you were all going through line to get food. I said, do you like baseball? And you're like, what's that? And I cried inside. <laughs> it's so sad. It's the best sport in the world. Okay, besides the point, baseball season's like 14 days away, 13 days away, by the way. Uh, and I will be using, I, I was on a kick of Les Mis, just a heads up, I will be on a kick about baseball. And yes, I hate the Cubs, so get, ah, oh, I know. Come on. I also hate the White Sox. I don't know what that does for all of you, but there it is, uh, for totally different reasons. If I asked you to go to a baseball game with me, do you know how, and if you didn't like baseball, do you know how unloving that would be? Because here's what you would do the entire time. You'd want to talk. And do you know what I would want to do the entire time? Keep score on my scoreboard that I have, that I take to every single game, that I have shorthand of pitch count and runs and everything. You're like, that's sick. I know. Do you know how unloving it would be for me to ask you to come to baseball if you hated baseball? So why would I ask you to come to baseball? There would be one reason and one reason only. I, it took me... I think, 10 years to get here. I'm going to switch analogies to... to uh, no, I'll, I'll keep with baseball. I, I listen to the radio broadcast in the back. That's like how much of a dork. I have one earphone in the entire day, and I'm just listening to baseball games ongoing. I don't even watch them. I listen to them. And as I'm listening to them, as I'm, as I'm going through, Haley couldn't stand baseball. It took me 10 years for her to like baseball, and the only reason she likes baseball is because it's not exciting to her. As a matter of fact, we went to the Cubs game. We did our preview trip here to, to see if we wanted to move here. We went to the Cubs game against the Braves. The Braves lost one to nothing. It was a it was an excruciating loss. And Haley's sitting with all the Cubs fans, and I have my brains cut, and I'm just like folded arms, and I'm so mad. I'm standing. People behind me are like, sit down. I'm like, nope, sorry. Like, deal with it. I'm in, into the game. Then the stupid song comes on. Go Cubs, go song. Haley starts singing Go Cubs Go with the rest. And I'm like, what is going on? She like traded on me all of a sudden. It took 10 years for her to like baseball. And I don't even care that she's singing Go Cubs Go because she likes baseball now. The only reason she likes baseball is not because she likes baseball, because she loves me. If you love the things of God, it's because you love God and you will receive the things of God because you love him. Naaman received the things of God he wanted the presence of God more than he wanted the things of himself. Because what was the things of himself? Sickness that led to death. What was the presence of God? Healing that turned to life. Do you see, friends? Who are those that are saved? Simply put, those who know their need is great, but know that God is greater than their need. Who are saved? Those who know their need, because they know God is greater than their need. That's the first one. The second one is, what is the calling? Who is saved? Those who know their need, but know that God has a greater, uh, God is greater than their need. And then secondly, who is called? Now, every time uh, I, or, or sorry, what is calling? Every time I do uh, premarital counseling, um, I, I tell them, I have a little sermonette that I do in the middle of the, of the wedding. And every single time I do that sermonette, I have this line in there that I use. And I say, after today, nothing changes and everything changes. When you get married, after you get married, nothing changes and everything changes. It's this weird phenomenon that takes place. 
after a marriage, you, you are somebody that's still yourself, and yet your identity is dra drastically shifted. It's drastically different. You're still a man, you're still a woman, you're still a, a couple, but after today, everything is different. The call of faith is much like the call to marriage. And what is the call of marriage? I, I, I'm going through the meaning of marriage with a couple right now, a COTB, and the first chapter gets off the bat and he says, marriage is not to improve your life, but to make you holy. It's not to add morals, but produce a new identity. Not to have you work for righteousness, not to have you work for good things, but rather for you to see the one who is righteous by just how broken and messed up you are face to face with somebody else who's broken and messed up as you both try to pursue Christ together. That's what marriage is. And that's what faith is. The covenant you make with Christ is a marriage. He will remake you. He will remake us as we always should have been. That's the call to faith. Now, Naaman came bringing offerings and he left with a better gift. He came with just carloads of wealth and treasure. And do you know what he left? This is, this is one of the juxtapositions, one of the incredible flips. He brought carts full of gold and silver and wealth. And what did he leave with? What did he take home with him? Dirt. He came with gold. He left with dirt. He came with value. He left with nothing. And that, is, that should tell us something, friends. See, what faith does is it changes your preferences, your thinking, your desires, your dreams. Faith transforms us into stop knowing we know it best and stop believing that God's favor is received rather than made. See, one of, the, one of my favorite things about faith, one of my favorite things, I'm going to use Enneagram really quick as an example. And if you don't know Enneagram, you're part of like the 30% of people who don't care about it. And then there's 70% of people that it's abjectly polarizing. Either they think it's satanic or it's gospel. And there's like very little in between. I swear. I'm going to use Enneagram. I'm not endorsing it beyond using it. Do we understand each other? Okay, good, great. Um, a lot of us have taken Enneagram and a lot of us are nines. Nines are peacemakers. It's like all of you. <laughs> okay. All of you, there's like three of us that aren't nines. Two of us are pastors, and I think Michael's the other one, a non-nine. Elder in training, Michael, I think a six, five. Five, okay, the investigator. Uh, Abe's the challenger. Yuji uh, is not a nine, but all the rest of you are nines. You're just peacemaking people. You'd rather, as one nine told me, you'd rather hide under the blankets than see conflict come your way, right? Now, I have a hot take. I think every one of us, are intrinsically a nine peacemaker at heart. I think we all, I think we start there. Here's why. Do you know how easy my job would be as pastor if I didn't have to read any parts of scripture that challenge us? Do you know how easy it would be if I went to God? If you were to ask me on my really grumpy days, when I'm really tired, when I'm sick, when I'm exhausted, and you were to say, Pastor, do you really believe the Bible? Do you really believe all the passages of scripture are true? Do you know what I want to say to you? No, no, because it's a lot easier just to, just to say they don't exist and say they're not true and say they're not right. Because you know what would happen then in that case? We kind of get to go like, oh, cool, sweet. We get to high five and move on. Peacekeeping and, and, and love and acceptance everywhere. The second I say, yeah, I believe the scriptures are very difficult, but they are true. We start reading them and we go, well, that's hard to swallow. I go, I know. 
See, on my, on my difficult days, on my tired days, on my exhausted days, I want to just simply say, God doesn't require anything of me. He pacifies me. He accepts me as I think is right, and he doesn't challenge me. On my worst days, I want to say that. Do you know what encourages me that God is true and God is real and the God of the scriptures? Do you know how easy it would be to tell people, oh yes, all the, we're, we're, we're taking out all the hard passages of scripture. We're taking out all the difficulty ones. We would have no problems in life, would we? It, 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 perfectly pacifying. People would accept us. We'd accept them. We'd move on. There'd be no conflict. There'd be no challenge. There'd also be no growth. There'd be no acceptance. God is not a God who pacifies us. Covenant love is radical covenant, not agreement. Love never aims for pleasantly getting along, but rather radical commitment of love to each other. Do you know what tells me people love me? When they don't, when they don't let me get away with all of my sin. That's how I know they love me. Do you know how God, I know that God loves me? He doesn't let me get away with my sin. He corrects me. He challenges me by community, by his word, by his presence, by his spirit. Do you know how I know other people love me? They don't let me get away with my sin. They say, I love you enough to challenge you. And that's the God we have in scripture. Friends, if you're questioning if God is real, do you know how I know he's real? He's not a God that says, yeah, I accept, I accept anything and everything, whatever. It's totally fine. Do you know how unloving of a parent that is? If, if my kids, uh, uh, if I was to take them uh, uh, somewhere in, in, in life, and I was just say, hey, have fun, go out there, do whatever you want. Talk to anybody you want, do anything you want, have a blast. Do you know how unloving that would be of me? Do you know if I didn't, if, if I just called up a random person, we don't have white pages anymore, but let's say I just dialed a random number in Chicago and said, hey, you want to come babysit my kids? Do you know how unloving that would be to have them come in and take care of my children? I would be a neglectful father. I would get arrested and I'd go to jail, as I should. <laughs> God is not a neglectful father. The reason I know he is true is because he challenges me. Lastly, how do I receive this call? How do I receive this call? Uh, have you heard of Romans Road? If you've been to church for a while, you've heard of Romans Road, how to come to faith according to Romans this is Naaman's road. I'm going to give you Naaman's road to salvation, what he received. Here's the order, and here's the goal. The goal is the simplicity of Christ's salvation, the simplicity of God's healing. That's how we come to faith. Here's the order. Naaman saw his need. I need healing. He heard the news. Someone told him of God. He navigated. He sought. He went. He knew a need. Somebody told him the news. He navigated to this. He grabbed on to the newness. He became lowly from a high position. He went from powerful and wealthy to poor and lowly. He neglected. He put down the things that he thought was good, and he took on the things that he received from Christ. And then he was near to God. And this last piece, church, friends, this last piece I want to focus on, he had nearness to God. He took God back home. And this is the simplicity. This is what I want to talk about. Naaman says, I've been healed. I dipped in the river. Now I need to go home. And he tells Elijah, hey, Elijah, when I go back home, I have a job. My job is to go into this temple and to have the king on my arm. And I bow down. And he says, I'm not sinning. I'm not worshiping that pagan god. I'm not holy in there. 
please forgive me. And then he says, can I take home some dirt? And Elijah, again, do you know how many commands in scripture tell us to take home dirt from where we were saved? No scripture that I know of. When Jesus was baptized, he didn't take a a vial. Well, they didn't have vials. So he didn't take a wineskin and he didn't take some of the water and keep it with him. He didn't have some sort of, of icon for it. But Naaman does. Naaman takes home dirt and he says, I will worship on this dirt. I will take this dirt home with me. And what he is saying, what Elijah does, it's very interesting. Friends, it's very interesting. Do you know what Elijah says to him? He says, now, Naaman, according to the grammatical interpretation of this deep theological truth, this dirt has no intrinsic value in and of itself. The genitive solution to the grammar in the Greek is not akin to the Hiphael of the Hebrew. I just threw, by the way, I just threw theological terms together. That was just like a word jumble really quick. That meant nothing. But it sounded like I knew what I was talking about for a hot moment. Elijah doesn't do that, does he? He could have. He could have said, Naaman, let me correct your faulty teaching. But he says, what does he say to him? Go in peace. Why? Why? Friends, because he took home God. And it was a simple faith. It was a small faith. It was simple obedience. He knew his his need. He got healed. And then he said, I want to bring this God home with me. I want to take this God and I want to bring it back to my home. I want to bring it back to my king. See, he had simple obedience and he had simple worship. Simple obedience and simple worship. Uh, as I, I will offer at the end of this sermon to come ask me questions, and many of you are. I, I say, ask me questions. And I, by the way, a lot of you have an email to me right now. I'm getting to them. I promise you. I apologize. <laughs> a lot of people asking questions, and the questions you ask are so good. And some of the questions are, hey, pastor, what about this? And, the, and you throw something out there that's very difficult and very hard. And here's my answer to many of you. I'll get to that. I say, I'll get to that. We'll talk about that. We'll get down the road. And I'm not saying I don't want to talk about it. I'm not saying I don't think the Bible has an answer for it. I simply say, we'll get to it. Do you know why I say that? Because what I want people to hear, what I want us to understand, what I want us to come away with is the simplicity of God's love for you and I, his acceptance and his gift to you and I, the healing, the need that we have, the greater provision we have in Christ. Because that's far important than individual little points that get very confusing very quickly. I say, hey, can, can we kind of punt on that? We'll, I'll come back to it. But I got about 20 steps before I get there to talk about that thing. I have to, do you even want salvation? Do you want Christ to speak into that? That's, that's, a, that's a very difficult aspect. When Elisha says, go in peace to Naaman, he is saying, I could correct you. I could talk about this. I could go down all the rabbit holes of why dirt isn't important and why you don't have to take it back and there's no command and I could cite and reference everything. And he just says, go in peace, Naaman. You got it. You've been healed. You've told me that you're going to go, you're going to continue your job, but you're not going to worship that, that God. You told me you want to take something back with you. I trust you. I believe in you. Go in peace. Church, here's my question to you. Do you take God back to your life with you outside of this service? Do you clean yourself up on Sunday, come to service, come to gathering, raise your hands, say, I praise God, listen to a sermon, then go back home, and you don't have any understanding of how that aspect of the news, the seeking, the news, the need, changes everything about you? 
God doesn't just want you on a Sunday morning. He doesn't want your morals. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your gifts. What he wants to give you is change every last square inch of you. He wants to change your work. Do you notice how Naaman said, I will still go to work, but now my work is drastically different. Do you see that? Many of us think, hey, we come to faith and I I have to quit my job and sell all my possessions and move to Africa and take care of people. That may be the case. I'm not saying it's not the case. That might be the case. But that's like 1% of us. The rest of us, how unloving would it be if I thought, you know what, I'm going to abandon my three children, my wife, and my, I'm going to go over to Africa and, and sell everything I have, leave them destitute, and go serve African orphans. It's not my calling. It's not my gift. Maybe it's your gift. What is God asking you to take back to your work? to your school, to your building, to your friends, and change. Maybe it's to go to Africa. Or maybe it's simple obedience that every square inch of your life, your work changes its entire trajectory. Your school changes your entire trajectory. Instead of trying to get good grades, to get a good job, to get enough money to do the things that you love, what if instead you got good grades to worship God with your intellect? What if instead of, of, of trying to get that promotion at work and trying to get more money so that you can get a new car that's really nice and really fabulous and you get to show off for everybody, what if instead you did a good job's work because in order to worship God, you're saying, you've given me this gift, I will praise you in doing so. What if every square inch of your life is taken home and reworked and transformed by God? Everything changes. Naaman had everything changed. He was healed, he worshiped, and he took simple obedience. And Elijah said, go in peace. Friends, here's how. Do you see how even if you're of faith or not of faith, this all applies? If you are of faith, I ask you, do you understand Christ crucified is the only way that you can understand your need and understand that he is still asking you today to worship him simply? You don't need a... Uh, Katz, congratulations, you now get to be part of my jokes of seminary-graduated people. Um, we're, we're the worst, Katz. You and I are just the worst. With that being said, do you need a theological degree? No. Is it good to go get so? Yes, and we praise Katz for it because that's awesome hard work. Do we need it? No. Do you need it? No. What do you need? Simple obedience and simple worship. That's what we need. That's what Naaman need, needed. And that's what he got, and he took God home because he understood this God gives me a healing for the need that I have. Do you see the need that you have in your life for God to heal every square inch and change your identity? If you do, seek him. And if you do, take him home. And if you do, worship him. And let's figure out the rest later. Do you know how long it takes for you to fully grasp the gospel? It doesn't take an eight-week alpha course. It doesn't take an eight-year membership class. It doesn't take a seminary degree. Do you know how long it takes for you to understand the gospel? A lifetime. I'm still finding new things in it. I'm still wowed by it. I've been doing graduate studies for eight years. I'm still amazed by it. Are you amazed by it too? Or do you think you got it taken care of? Dip yourself seven times in the river. Come under the teaching of Christ and receive the healing he gets, and then simply worship. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. 
For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.